Jesus, speak to us now. Amen. Okay, so uh, there are three questions that are incredibly important for us uh, at every age and stage of our lives to grapple with. And the question is this. One, um, who am I? It's a question of identity, isn't it? The second question is, as I figure out who I am, you've got to ask yourself, am I loved? Or who loves me? Or am I lovable? This is the love question. Uh, this is all about love. Uh, and then the third question is, um, am I okay? That's really a question of purpose, of what I'm doing with my life. Am, 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 I, am I all right? Is, am I getting people's approval? Is, is this a good thing that I'm doing with where I'm at in life? Uh, all of these things matter enormously in our lives. And the answers we give to these, or the, really actually the journey we're on in our lives as we seek to answer these, shape so much about us. Now, you might think, well, um, I'm... Uh, I'm a little too old to think about this stuff, which is fair enough, you might be. But you know what? Helping your kids and your grandkids think about this stuff matters enormously. And these are the questions that shape our, shape our lives and who we are and, our, and in time shape our, legacy, shape our legacy. So we're going to think about them. We're going to think about how the gospel writer in Mark chapter 1 shows us that these were the fundamental questions that shaped all of Jesus' ministry. The reason Jesus could live a life that changed the world is because of the answers that he gave to these three questions. Okay, so let's start uh, with who am I? Imagine you're, uh, someone comes to you and they go, ah, oh, who are you? How would you answer that? What are the, things that, what are the answers you'd give? If someone said, ah, oh, who are you? You're a king's kid. Awesome, Jan, you've just gone right to the end of the sermon and wrecked it all. Taken away all my narrative suspects. <laughs> yeah, let's go out for coffee. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. What else might you say? What makes up who you are? Your, your family? So your relationships, your mum, your dad, your, your, what you do. That's often the one, you know. We go, oh, my name is... Fred, and I'm an X, Y, or Z, right? So that's who I am, right? What else? You're female, so your gender. Yep. What else? Where you're born, where you're from, your ethnicity, your identity, your culture. What else? Your age. Yeah, who am I? Middle-aged white guy. Yeah, trying to rule the world <laughs> with little success. <laughs> what else might we, other things that we might say? Now, these are really, really significant. And, and we, you know, one of the things that's true about our day and age is the answers we give to these questions have really changed or become a lot more fluid. So in fact, today, 
we, we have this lifetime endeavor of actually constructing an, an identity, of, of trying to find a way to live out an answer to these because, for, let's take vocation. In years past, what did you do for a job? Like 200 years ago, 300 years ago, what did you do for a job? Whatever your dad or mum had done for a job. Whatever, well, whatever your dad had done for a job. Uh, what, was the, what, was, you know, what was the community you lived in? Well, you were, you were born in a village and you were raised in the village and you died in the village. So, you know, I might have been Mark, the son of Mark, the son of Mark, who was, and we're all blacksmiths. So that's what we did. And you got born and you lived and you married Matilda, Mark and Matilda married, and Matilda was the son of the, well, the daughter of the, um, whoops, the, uh, <laughs> the um, I don't know, whatever. And so then you had your kids and then your kids did what you did and very stable. Identity was stable. It was a given, right? Not so much anymore. We move, we do like multiple vocations. How many of you live within, how many of us live within two kilometers of where we were born? No one. How many of us are living in the same uh, suburb or, let, or tribal region of Sydney? You were born in the inner west. How many of you are born in the, living in the same basic region of Sydney that you were born in? Yeah, a handful. Gosh, you guys. Okay, how many of you are living in the same city? How many of you were born in Sydney? Okay, most of you. How many of you are living in the same country that you were born in? Okay, a lot of you. We, we move. And, and we live in massive cities, so we've got to construct our identity. Our identity is also fluid because now, not only do we move, not only do we uh, uh, have different jobs, we have so many, many, many more people in our lives, don't we? And actually, our identities morph depending on who it is we're relating to. And we see this particularly in the online space. It's the ultimate place of anonymity where I can be whoever I want to be and create this identity and this profile and answer this question in whatever way will be most useful to whatever interests I'm pursuing online. So actually answering the question, who am I, is, is increasingly difficult and challenging in our day and age. There isn't a stability anymore because the people we grew up with may not be around us to give us a sense of self. It's hard because if you build your sense of self on a job, what happens if you lose the capacity to do that job? You know? And technology is disrupting all the jobs that we do and that we base our sense of self on. The digitization of everything, the digital self that we have to now construct and create is profoundly stressful and challenging. Uh, and I'll tell you how I, I was reading an article, I think it was in The Atlantic uh, a few years ago, and it was an, an, uh, an analysis of, uh, by a sociologist on the popularity and prevalence of tattoos amongst millennials. So why is it that people under 30, maybe under 30, maybe under 40 now, we're all getting older, right? Why is it that younger people, those young people, cover their bodies in tattoos. Why? Because in a, in a life where their identity and everything else is changing, what's the one thing about them that won't change? It's actually the body art. 
Now, of course, it does change, and I always say to young people who are thinking about this, you've got to plan your tattoos so that as the elastin in your skin decreases over age, it morphs into something that's still good-looking, right? So you've got, to, you've got to plan ahead for, like, you know, old age, but, you know, no one does. So what we get is this, this idea that everything is shifting, everything's shifting sand, so I'll, 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 I'll tattoo my body, and, and that's who I am. Who I am matters, because out of who I am flows everything I do. How do I build a sense of self? Well, look, um, here's what the Bible writers say, how, how Jesus answered this question, right? What, and it goes back to Jan's question, who is Jesus? What's his fundamental identity given to us? More than anything else, the Bible says, as right as it starts here in, John, in Mark's gospel, um, Mark says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah is just a Greek word for anointed one. Who is this Jesus? Well, he is the Son of God. That's who he is. That's his claim. And everything about Jesus' life, everything we're going to understand him doing is going to flow out of this experience of Jesus as knowing that he is the Son of God. And this is so fundamentally important in the way that early writers of Christianity understood Jesus that Mark's gospel is bookended by the, this description of Jesus. Right up the front here, it says it here, and then it also says it as he starts his public ministry... Uh, Jesus starts, uh, he's, he's been wandering around doing all his kid stuff growing up and he's getting into ministry now, he's about 30, and he's baptized in the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is the boundary between uh, exile and the promised land. And so symbolically, Jesus goes down into the Jordan River identifying with all the messed up humanity and messed up Israel and comes out the other side uh, into the promised land. And as that happens, he has this extraordinary a spiritual encounter, and his, a voice from heaven says, what? You are my son. It's how it all starts with Jesus, with his identity that comes from his relationship with his heavenly father. And actually at the end of the gospel, it ends as Jesus dies on the cross, finally... When, when right through the Gospel of Mark, people have misunderstood who Jesus is, not got it, right at the end, as he dies, the Roman centurion who's crucifying him says, surely this man is the Son of God. Who Jesus is, his identity shapes everything about him. Jesus is defined by his relationship with God. You are my son. This is a foundation that enables him to, over, to live in uh, stark, massive contradiction to the expectations of others around him. To be God's son, to be the kind of person who was revolutionary and went against everyone else's expectations, but did it from a place of utter, complete security. Jesus' identity is secure with God. So you might say, well, okay, I, I figured out who I am. <laughs> I've now got to figure out if anyone loves me for who I am, right? And, and you see how the two are connected? One of the reasons our identities are fluid is because, uh, it, you know, um, it's 
like that old saying, I have my principles, and if you don't like my principles, I have others. <laughs> you know? I found out who I am, and if you don't like who I am, I'll become someone else for you. If you can't love me as I am, I'll change, right? Now, uh, the next massive question is to say, well, I've figured out who I am. Now I've got to figure out, am I loved? And who loves me? And um, one, of the, one of the ways to think about this and one of the challenges for us is, um, and it's, again, it's not a, I'm not a great artist, but if you imagine this, right? It's a great big tank, right? Uh, and, and this is a tank into which people's affirmation and regard for us uh, pours in love. Okay, this is our, this is, this is our love tank. Right, and it's here's, yeah, maybe here's the, here's the level. And people pouring in love, right? Love comes in from all kinds of sources. And that's all awesome, isn't it? But there's a problem with our love tanks, isn't that right? And you know what the problem is? Uh, through life, uh, we just end up, uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to draw this. Let's, uh, we just end up with a, do it in red, just with, with holes being punched in our tanks, right? So rejection, um, criticism, all these things just punch holes, poor parenting, you know? So love's flowing in, right? But then, man, it's love's flowing out as well, right? And uh, very often there's more love flowing out than there is, is love flowing in. And we're on this desperate treadmill to try and make sure that we get enough love from others coming in to compensate for all the love that's leaking out. And, and the thing is, the paradox is, we're all in this situation, aren't we? And that's hard because you're, you have only so much love and it's leaking out of you, but I need you to love me to fill up my love tank. And you're in exactly the same position. And so I need love and you need love. And uh, we need a source of love that is greater than any of the holes that have been punched in our souls. And, you know, here's the thing, right? We, also, we, we, we actually need our souls to be patched up. We need someone to come along and with a bit of gaffer and just kind of cover out, stop the leaking, right? And this is, this is, this is our lives, Imagine how different your life would be if you knew you were completely loved as you are. Imagine the freedom that would bring you. And imagine if you, as a result of that, were just totally free of any fear of rejection. It's just no fear of rejection. Because, you know, the, the, biggest, the, the reason we're scared of rejection is if, if you reject me, it means I don't have any love coming in. In fact, your rejection is just punching another hole in, in, in my soul and, and the love's leaking out. And so we, we spend our lives controlled by fear that our, we won't get the love we need. Again, you may have sorted this out perfectly, but let me tell you, if you have young people in your life, uh, wherever they are, oh my goodness, they need 
they need to know and experience and find a source of love that is greater than all the holes in their souls. And look at what Jesus, look again at, at Jesus, right? Uh, this is, uh, this is, if this is true for us, it's so true for Jesus. This is a man who changed the world by all accounts, came into the world, but lived, he, he turned his back on every source of love that you or I might naturally turn to, right? He was a single guy, so there's no romantic love. He had a bunch of family around him, but they all thought he was Meshuggah. He was nuts, and they rejected him. All the authority figures in his life rejected him. They withheld love from him and turned on him and tried to then kill him. His closest, he had his band of brothers and a whole group of women around them who were his followers, his entourage. They all rejected him, so he found love from no human person. There was no one. The, the places we all look to find love, Jesus didn't get any of that love. And yet, he was able to change the world, to tilt the whole universe on its axis and set it on a new course. Why? Because the foundation of his life was this. As he comes out from his baptism, he has this encounter with his father, and his father says, you are my son, what? Whom I love. That's it. It's to be loved. <laughs> to know the eternal, unconditional love of his Father gave Jesus the power to change the world. <laughs> you know, that was the love of the Father. The love of the Father is the, uh, is the gaffer tape that plugs up the holes, Right? So there's no more leaking. So he's completely secure. Is that cool? And then finally, not just as do we need to know who we are and do we need to know that we're loved, we also need to know that we're okay, that what we're doing with our lives gets the approval of those whose opinions matter to us. I'll, I'll illustrate what I mean. Um, uh, many years ago, when our children were little, Oliver was learning how to ride a bike. And uh, classic, you know, father-son moment, Oliver's on his bike and uh, down in Melbourne. And uh, as he takes off and he's riding on his bike and he started to be able to keep going up, I don't know, he's whatever he was, two or three or um, <laughs> wobble, wobble, wobble. He turns around and, and what, does he, what does he yell out to me? Look at me. Look at me, Dad. You see, that's what, we, that's what we want in our souls. It's not just enough for us to do good. We want to be noticed and get the approval of someone whose opinion matters to us. I mean, that's, that's so much of the energy in our world today is a bunch of love-hungry people doing what they think to get their identities secure and stable and then running around going to the world, look at me, will someone please tell me that I'm okay, you know? Tell me I'm all right. You know, I mean, I know I've, I've become a partner and I've got a big house on the harbor, but, but am I okay? That's, I mean, that's, you know, that, that might, am I good enough? All right all the time. Am I okay? Am I good enough? Look at me. Um, it, doesn't get, it doesn't go away. 
I mowed the lawn yesterday because Oliver sprained his ankle. And uh, do you know what was more important to me than having the lawn beautifully mowed? Was having Margot look at the lawn and go, Oh, Mark, that's so good. Wow. I was like, yeah, look at me. It's I'm okay. Yes, yes, I mowed the lawn. It's okay. <laughs> to know, to know that who we are, to know that we're loved, and to know that we're approved of, that what we're doing matters and is good. That's the path of life, right? And, and look... I mean, I think verse 11 in this first chapter of Mark is just the recipe for how you build a life that is extraordinary in its power to change the world. Because look, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. My goodness. Hmm. To have your dad say that about you right? I mean, I, I don't know. There's a bunch of us who had pretty average dads. Some of you were blessed with amazing dads, and you know what it's like to have your dad say this, but many of us, pretty shitty dads. <laughs> and you never really heard this, you know? There's a whole generation of men who, you know, you didn't, you were very withholding emotionally, and so you didn't really just, man, I just love you. So well pleased in you, because of, of who you are and what you've done and your character. Well, let me tell you, if you've got kids, by the way, or grandkids, they need to hear this. But not, not on the basis, it's not a... Actually, there needs to be some substance behind this, right? It can't be, man, I'm so pleased that you drew breath today. That's, you're awesome. It's, it's not the emotional equivalent of a participation medal in life. But it's paying attention to those who we love and we care for. And giving them and, and verbalizing and articulating our, our relationship with them, our love for them, and then our, our deep approval for who they are and what they're doing. And to say it, I'm just so pleased. I just love you. I'm so proud of you. I respect you. Because this is what set Jesus up for his whole life, right? In one sense, think about it. This is a bit of an outrageous claim. The only reason you and I are here this morning is because the father said these words to the son, <laughs> That's what enabled Jesus to go through what he went through. Complete, utter rejection by everyone and dying alone on a cross and changing the axis on which the world rotated. Now, uh, you may be sitting, well, you are sitting here. You may be thinking to yourself, well, Mark, whoopity-doo for Jesus. That's awesome. But what, how do I get this? And how, how do I give this to others? Like, what difference does this really make? Well, let me tell you this. Um, let me tell you this. That Jesus, right after this, um, there's, a, there's a bit of a story about um, uh, Jesus then goes out into the wilderness. The, John's put in prison. And then, flowing straight out of this, Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming, uh, proclaiming the good news of God. So, so now Jesus has had this profound experience of God. Now he's going to go out and he's going to tell people, here's some incredible news from God. What is it? And he says this, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Here you go. What on earth does that mean? At its essence, at its essence, 
what Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, everybody. This experience of God that I have had, this experience is now thrown open to human people like you. That's what it means, the kingdom of God. This particular kind of experience with God, this relationship with God, this is now accessible to everyone. It's like he says, this this unbelievable uh, intimacy and connection and love that I've had with a father, this is no longer just an exclusive relationship, but now anyone who wants can come in and have that same experience. That's the good news, right? The kingdom of God is here. That, that we can relate to God in this way, that we can come to know the very same God in the very same way that Jesus knew God. Think about it. That's extraordinary. The, 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 the same experience of God that gave Jesus an identity and a love and an approval that changed his life and set him on a course to change the world, that's, that's, that's available to us. Huh. Wow. Okay, so then you go, okay, that's great, Mark, but how do I get that? Well, actually, before that, <laughs> there's really, some of you might be going, I just don't buy that at all. Uh, I'm, uh, I just don't believe that at all. And that's okay. Uh, it's a lot to believe. And, and if you, <laughs> it's a lot to think about. It's a whole bunch of claims in that. And, and you know, but I want to say, it's great to hear. Keep coming back. Keep thinking about this. Keep grappling with it. Because it is an, a, a, an astounding claim that God might love you in this way. And that it's now open to, to each of us to love, to experience God in the same way that Jesus did now. If you've got over the hump of belief and you go, okay, I think I, I, think I want this. There's a way to get it and a way to not get it. Here's how you don't get the relationship with God that Jesus had. You don't get it by being religious. You see, that was the answer. That was the way that that the, the people of Jesus' day would have approached this. When they said the kingdom of God is here, God's, God wants this kind of relationship with you, the immediate response would have been, okay, what, are we, what have I got to do? I'll keep the law. I'll be zealous about my religion. I'll turn up at church. I'll join a small group. I'll be a good Anglican. I'll give my money. I'll serve the poor. I'll do, do, do all of this stuff. And if I do all of this stuff, then I can enter into this relationship with God. Uh, the biggest conflict Jesus had in his day was with religious people who thought the way that you related to God was by keeping the Jewish law, observing Torah, being relentlessly scrupulous in the application of religion. And Jesus, and, and you know, I mean, I must say, that, that impulse is alive and well in us. If you want to know God, you've got to do this stuff. You've got to obey you. And Jesus says, no, no, there's a different way. You can never earn your way into this kind of relationship with God. This is what he says. The kingdom of God, this love relationship with God is thrown open to you. Now, how do you get into it? Well, you do this weird thing and it, it comes with, it's a whole bunch of baggage. You repent and you believe this good news. Now, Repent. I don't know, I prefer a word like change your mind. <laughs> change your mind. Don't think that the way to get God's love is by doing lots of good stuff. 
but change your mind and realize, no, the way to get God's love is to trust Jesus and follow him in. Look how the Apostle Paul summarizes it all. Um, right at, in, in Galatians 4, Paul brings all this home and he says this, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So uh, under the law meant people who believed that coming into a relationship with God was all about fulfilling Torah, fulfilling the requirements of being religious in, in a particular Jewish way. But it really can be expanded to say any religious person who believes that the way we get favor with God is by being religious and doing right and doing good. He says, anyone who's been born in that way, listen, God sent his son, that is Jesus, this son that we've talked about, to redeem those that we might receive adoption to sonship. Uh, Now, what does that mean? It says, this relationship that Jesus has with the Father can now become ours as we change our mind and trust him and realize that we won't get this relationship because of what we do, but God will adopt us. And he'll adopt us as sons, and you go, but hang on, that's not very gender inclusive. I'm a woman. It's really important when Paul wrote this that you were adopted as a son, because guess what? Uh, if you were, it was the sons, and adopted sons received all the inheritance rights of firstborn sons in a culture when women didn't inherit anything. So, so he's making the point that men and women are drawn into God's family and receive from God everything that Jesus has. Everything that the firstborn son of God has is ours, not because of what we do, but because we've trusted Jesus, we've believed in him, and as a result, we're adopted into his family, and now everything that was Jesus is ours. Isn't that extraordinary? And because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. This call, this cry of extraordinary intimacy and love. We have that if we believe in Jesus and we're adopted into the family. We don't have it because we're religious or we deserve it. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Ah, isn't that amazing? So the good news of Christianity, the great news, the jump up and down and shout for joy, the get you out of bed and change the world kind of good news of Christianity is that you and I have available to us an identity that is unshakable. The identity that we are God's children by virtue of our adoption, by virtue of the the sonship of Jesus can become our sonship. So you know what? I know who I am. And you can know who you really are. And it's a sonship, it's an identity that transcends culture and age and intellectual firepower and socioeconomic status. And it's it's an identity that is stable through all the changes of life. And it's an identity that is stable irrespective of what anyone else thinks of you because right tied up with that is the fact that God loves you. (laughs) With the same love that the Father had for Jesus, God has for you. An eternal, infinite source of love. 
that not only fills your love tanks, but actually patches up the holes. (laughs) So, uh, you know what? Today, you can be utterly free of the fear of rejection in your life. Imagine what that would be like. Never having to worry what anyone else thinks of you because you know on your heart that you are loved by God. That's what it means that you're no longer a slave. Imagine, wouldn't that be amazing? And then you can know that as you go through life going, hey dad, look at me. There's a father who looks at you and says, you are my child with whom I am well pleased. Do you know how well pleased God is with you? He's as well pleased with you as he is with his own son, Jesus. And you know how well pleased he was with Jesus? Well, you know, Jesus was so, so obedient to his father that he went and died for you and for me. He would even give up his very own relationship with his father so that you and I could have that relationship in this extraordinary exchange. And because of this extraordinary radical obedience to the father, the father says to the son, son, I am so well pleased in you. And so you know what? When you go through your life, you need to know that if you are following Jesus, there is nothing that you can do that can ever get the father to not be pleased about you. Because you and I can go, man, I screw up, I sin, I stuff up. But the, the affirmation from the Father that says, you are my child in whom I'm well pleased, that is given to you on the basis of Jesus' perfect obedience. And so there's freedom there, man. Ha. Ah. So this morning, do you know that? It's really easy and really hard, isn't it? It's really easy and really hard. It's really easy because the way into it is to change your mind and trust Jesus. But isn't changing your mind really hard? (laughs) Particularly as we get older. And to change the orientation of our lives. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust others. Trust Jesus. And and turn to God. I mean, it's the best news in the world. And let me tell you, uh, this is why we need to be a church where the unchurched love coming because this is the secret to psychological well-being, to economic flourishing, to social well-being, to build a country, to build a city, to build a community where people's lives, their identity and their love and their approval comes from this. It's life-changing, hey? Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, um, I feel uh, entirely inadequate to the task of explaining how good this good news is. So as my words finish, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will, will take these words and will work in our hearts, each of us here in this room this morning, that you will help us to change our minds about you, maybe to change our minds for the hundred thousandth time or maybe for the first time, to realize that it is in you that the kingdom of God is available. It is in you, Jesus, alone and in trusting you that we can come to a place where we experience God with all his love, all his approval, and all his family care for us. So, Lord, come. Holy Spirit, come. 
shift something in each of us this morning, I pray. Amen. We're going to... um